This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat segment. Starting a little bit early because there's so much good news to get to. And uh, also a guest tonight, Matt Hayes from Jacksonville, uh, one of the elite college football writers. He's going to join us later on in the show. We're going to talk all sorts of SEC things and uh, news and notes. And let's start with the Georgia Bulldogs. Kirby Smart met with the media today. Uh, Kirby had a lot to say, uh, some interesting things. Most interesting takeaway to me was that Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith could be back for the Vanderbilt game. Now, you'll remember Washington, the tight end, Tyke, the safety, both of these guys had foot surgery a couple weeks before the season, and Kirby tells us they had targeted the Vanderbilt game for a return. Now, today was the very first media observation period, believe it or not, since about November of 2019. We were allowed inside the House of Pain, the uh, William Porter Payne indoor facility adjacent to Buttsmere Heritage Hall, and allowed to watch for about 12 minutes. Now, I saw number 23 running around out there, and that's Tyke's number. I don't think it was Tyke, though. So we reeled that back in, made it clear, not Tyke Smith out there. I still wouldn't be surprised to see Tyke on Saturday. Did not see Darnell Washington. What we did see, and most of you have probably already read the story, George Pickens was running routes. Now, this was the warm-up period when the players are, you know, the quarterbacks are thrown to receivers on air. There's nobody defending. George Pickens was in a black jersey, which means no contact. He had a brace on, albeit a lighter brace on his knee. Uh, Kirby had told us a couple weeks ago that he was doing straight line running. Well, in these drills, he was running a post route. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with a post route, but that's where a receiver starts outside and then takes a 45-degree angle towards the goalpost. That's a post route. So there is some cutting involved. There is a little bit of explosive movement. It wasn't an out-and-out crossing route or an out route, which would be a 90-degree cut. So I don't see George going all out on that knee. But what I saw was very promising. The fact that George is out there running, I think he's running close to full speed and making any kind of a cut, catching the ball, looking very natural, normal. Now, what could that mean for his return? Let's be realistic. George tore his ACL in the middle of March. Where are we now? March to April, May, June, July, August, September. We're six months out. I think that's still too close. I've always thought eight months was the minimum, but I'm not a doctor, certainly. Uh, George Pickens does want to play this year, but remember George Pickens also probably going pro after this season. So if he plays, he wants to get some tape. He also needs to make sure that he's 100% for the NFL Combine and the Georgia Pro Day. So George Pickens trying to balance that desire to get back with the team with the opportunity to get some film to show the pro scouts he's still very good, but also wanting to stay healthy enough not to endanger his NFL prospects. So there's a very fine line that's being walked by George Pickens. I think we all respect the fact that George has stayed with the team and is attempting to work out with the Bulldogs, with his teammates in earnest, with a desire to get back. A lot of guys 
may have just left. They may have just opted out, said, I'm going to Miami. I'm going to run in the sand. I'm going to train in the, in the beautiful tropics and uh, with a personal trainer and get paid all sorts of money by an agent. Instead, George Pickens is staying with his teammates in Athens. And so there's still a chance he could return. I don't know when and if. I do know that one of his family members posted on Facebook that uh, they're hoping this return will come pretty soon. So there's a little bit of a buzz. There's an excitement. We all know what George Pickens would mean to that receiving core. But right now he's not there. And Kirby likes to talk about the guys that are. And one of the receivers that's gotten back is Kiaris Jackson. Kiaris, a very steady veteran receiver, uh, last year tied with Pickens for the most amount of catches. You remember the first few games, excuse me, the first two games, Kiaris was punt return only because he had an arthroscopic procedure performed over the summer. Now Kiaris working out with the receivers. You might have saw he got a couple targets in that 40-13 to 13 win over South Carolina. So that's good news. Kiaris Jackson back in the fold. Uh, he'll be out there against Vanderbilt. Some other good news, JT Daniels, boy, the offense just looks so much better with JT Daniels at quarterback. It's just not close. And, and Stetson Bennett performed wonderfully against UAB, 10 of 12, 288. But remember, about 220 of those yards came on three throws, uh, you know, one a catch and run by Brock, Brock Bowers and two other ones where the, you know, the, the defense was badly beaten and he had open guys. It wasn't like he was threading the needle and layering passes. Not saying that Stetson can't do that, but his passing performance was much different than, than what maybe JT Daniels was demanded to do against that veteran Clemson defense and, again, against a pretty good South Carolina defense. So JT just has that ability to make all the throws. Now, something came out of today's press conference, and my producer Michael Carvel and I – uh, had a very interesting discussion about Kirby Smart's comments about that he hasn't ruled out rotating quarterback. Well, look, you have to understand this about Kirby. He never rules out anything. Now, do I think we're going to see two on and one off and two? I do not. I do not think that. I would be shocked. The only reason that that could potentially happen is if JT Daniels was not 100%. Kirby clarified his comment by saying it depends on how JT looks in practice. We watched JT today. He's firing missiles. He's fine. I had an opportunity to talk to someone in his family. JT, JT is doing really well right now. So I don't think you're going to see that rotation. But just remember, Kirby's the head coach. And, and a lot of times when head coaches say something or do something, they're very reluctant to go back and say, oops, I made a mistake. Kirby Smart made a mistake putting Stetson Bennett in the game. Now, say this, say this, and I say that with hindsight. The reason that Kirby Smart put Stetson Bennett in that game was for all the right reasons. Stetson played well against UAB. Stetson had performed and practiced extremely well in practice. When they didn't know if JT Daniels could play against South Carolina, Stetson Bennett brought his lunchbox and put his hard hat on and prepared like he was going to be the starter, like he always does. And the head coach, in a nod of respect and wanting to uh, give him what he deserved, as Kirby said, Stetson deserved to play. That's why he played. Now, we saw it didn't work out. It's hard to bring a quarterback in cold like that in the middle of a game. And I'll tell you, when you do that, you risk the rhythm of the starting quarterback. Now, Kirby's in his sixth year. He's been around football all of his life. I have a ton of respect 
for Kirby Smart. I want to say that. I do not think I am smarter about football when it comes to Kirby Smart. But managing quarterbacks is as much about a philosophy as it is an absolute science. And one of the things that I've had an opportunity to do is view different coaches over the course of my 30 years. Jimbo Fisher and Terry Bowden were the offensive coaches when I covered the Auburn Tigers. Gene Stallings, Woody McCorvey, those were the head coach and offensive coordinator at the University of Alabama. Philip Fulmer and now ETSU head coach Randy Sanders uh, and former Kentucky offensive coordinator Randy Sanders. Uh, also, uh, obviously, we saw what uh, Big Jim did here as well. I've had an opportunity to see a lot of different coaches and, and quarterbacks work together. Mark Antonio at Michigan State. Why am I bringing this up? Because I've noticed a trend with defensive coaches. Defensive-minded coaches have a tendency to want to treat the quarterback like it's any other position. In their mind, it's like, look, we've got DBs going in and out. we got running backs going in and out. you got to be mentally tough quarterback, and you got to be able to handle yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm of the opinion in my 30, and, and I don't think there's an absolute right or an absolute wrong, but in my opinion with where Georgia is at right now and the need to get the offensive chemistry established and the timing – because JT doesn't have many game reps with guys like Lad McConkey, Jermaine Burton, Jermaine Robinson, or excuse me, Justin Robinson, uh, Brock Bowers. You know, he's still learning his receivers. These game reps are so valuable. So on the one hand, you do want to reward Stetson. But I think you save that for the fourth quarter. And I know Kirby doesn't want to give the impression that that's garbage time, but it's really not about Stetson as much as it is about doing right for the team. Do what's right for the team over what's right for the one individual. So I respect Kirby's decision. I understand it. My personal opinion is that you don't mess with quarterbacks. If they're getting in their groove and you're trying to get your offense settled, keep your hands off. Let it go. There's a time and a place. Now, that's my opinion. Now, Kirby Smart's making $7 million a year, folks, and he's built Georgia into a national championship contender that I believe right now, if you ask me right now, I believe Kirby's going to win a national championship at Georgia. That's my opinion. I think this is the year. I think Kirby's a really smart guy, but I also think he's a very loyal guy, and I think he's a player's coach. And I understand his decision. So my decision comes playing Monday morning quarterback, you know, second guessing from the armchair, just another sports writer. Uh, Kirby, it's his team. He understands these players. But my opinion is leave JT alone. When you pull him out, make it that you're pulling him out for the game. You get that lead on Vanderbilt. I don't know what's enough. 42 to nothing at halftime, maybe. Sit him out the second half and put him in bubble wrap. Make sure he elevates his legs and, and puts an air cast on his shoulder so he's ready to go against Sam Pittman and those upset-minded hogs the following week in a noon kickoff at Sanford State. That's my opinion. Kirby has access to practice. He sees things I don't see. So I always give him the benefit of the doubt. But in the case of rotating quarterbacks, I wanted to explain the situation. I wanted to put it in context and explain why I don't think I would make too much out of him saying he hasn't ruled out rotations. For all we know, he could be talking about rotating Stetson Bennett and Carson Beck 
in the third and fourth quarter. We have heard the rumors that Carson Beck could be interested in transferring. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out, that if Carson Beck isn't get the kind of reps that he wants, that he could look elsewhere. It would also not make sense because he wouldn't be eligible this season. And why not stick around because Carson Beck, you just don't know. If JT Daniels goes pro, as we think he will, and if Stetson Bennett is indeed out, out of eligibility, which we think he finally is, then it would be silly for Carson to leave in the middle of the season just because he was upset over some reps. Now, you can argue whether or not Kirby should be trying to work him in there or not, but I think Kirby started the right guy against UAB. I think time uh, you know, bore that out. And although I'm second-guessing the decision to take JT Daniels out with a 14-0 lead, I want to say it once again. Kirby Smart knows more than I do about what's happening at practice and how to motivate and work with players. I'm just saying that as a general rule, the coaches that I've worked with that are defensive-minded coaches are more apt to pull quarterbacks and make coaching decisions without regard to the potential harm to the chemistry. Uh, that's just my personal observations from the different coaches that I've covered. Again, Kirby Smart is probably a Hall of Fame coach. I think he's the third or fourth active winningest head coach. So I want to be very clear that Mike Griffith does not think that he's smarter than Kirby Smart. I do not. I have a different philosophy, and that's all. And I say that without all the information available. And I explain these things because I want people to understand the context of Kirby saying he's not going to rule it out. So that was a big note here. I want to give you a couple other notes, and then we're going to bring our special guest on. I'm really excited to bring him on here in just a few minutes. Uh, other things that Kirby Smart said today, Dominic Blaylock, the receiver, still dealing with a hamstring injury. He said he would try to go today at practice. I didn't notice him sprinting out there 100%. Uh, said Kiaris is not yet 100%, but he's going at 90 to 95. Uh, Kirby also said that, uh, let's see here. Uh, they did practice inside because of the rain. Kirby uh, said they're looking forward to Vanderbilt. Said they're always a physical team. Didn't say anything about evening the score or being upset about Vanderbilt no showing uh, last year. Kirby did confirm uh, backup linebacker Ryan Davis out for the season with a quad injury suffered last Monday. He was on the punt team, and he was in the top four of the inside linebackers rotation. Now, let me go ahead. You know what? Let's uh, let's bring Matt Hayes on now, if we could. Matt, an award-winning college football writer. He is in Jacksonville, my favorite city. Uh, good to see you, Matt. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, Griff. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So I'm just uh, I'm just talking about Kirby Smart's quarterback philosophy, uh, pulling JT Daniels. Uh, in the third series, I guess, as an outsider or someone that uh, follows college football intently uh, and looks at this from 10,000 feet. What were your thoughts when Kirby pulled uh, JT Daniels on the third series of that game? Strange. Just a little strange, that's all. Um, my, my thought process in that is, look, you, you've got a guy that clearly can make every throw, that clearly has an NFL arm, um, that a lot of scouts will say is the guy that could develop into a late first-round kind of pick. Um, and he only played four games last year, and he's played, you know, all of what this year? One, two, about about two. Get him every rep you can possibly get him until the big games come up, until the, the Florida game arrives, until potentially the Alabama game and the SEC championship game arrives, until, you know, God willing, the college football playoff. If it were me, I would literally get him every shot possible to get reps. And, again, I understand that there's, there's, there's a situation of, well, what if he gets injured? Then you're, then you're really in trouble because – and you've got the mailman, and that's what you're stuck with. So 
I see that. I understand both sides of it. But boy, if you've got a talent like that, um, I just I'd love to just get him out there and get as many reps as possible. Yeah, Matt, before you came on, I was explaining that Kirby explained that Stetson Bennett deserved to play because he practiced hard. And my philosophy was put the team need over the individual need. I know you like him. Bring him to your office, have lunch with him, play around a golf but don't take reps away from the guy that you're counting on to lead you to a championship. So I'm with you on that. But again, Matt, I'm not at practice. Kirby's the guy making 7 million a year. I respect his decisions. I don't always understand them, but he said today that he wasn't counting out a rotation. And I was explaining to the audience, and you know, this haven't been a beat guy, haven't covered college football on a national level. Coaches do not like to admit when they're wrong. Yeah, I think it's that. And I think most coaches, and I would probably put Kirby in this category, they do nothing without intent. So my guess would be while Stetson man, is probably playing well in practice and, you know, whether you whether you think he deserves it or not, I think there's some intent going on there, whether that means he's trying to motivate JT Daniels to be more precise with his preparation, um, whether he's trying to motivate the team you know, and explaining to them, look, no one's job is safe. We all got to buckle down. This is a big season. We have potential. We have the potential to win it all. Let's get our mind straight. Um, it could be something as simple as that as well. Um, I, I just, I mean, we both see both those players, okay? I, we don't see them in practice because clearly we're not allowed in practice. But when you see those two on the field, it's night and day the difference between those two. So I, I just look at those two and I think, you know what? There's something more than this. There's something underneath what the, the the initial decision is yeah my guess is that maybe jt was limited in practice last week and because he was limited the head coach sends the message that hey if you're not out there you're not getting all the reps and that sure. like you said matt that applies to everybody even the quarterback and i'll reward you if you prepare to play like stetson bennett and you stick around i think you're absolutely right matt i think that there was a team message you're playing an opponent that you feel you can beat easily and, right. uh, and but but then once the interceptions thrown, um, you know, I, I think that the, the team said, OK, coach, we get it. Let's 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 win this right. game. Now, right. I mean, I mean, the Georgia right, defense, let's not pull around anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Georgia defense, Matt. Made I mean, your point. Right. Right. Yeah, but they shut him down. You know, so it's, it's a pick. It gets, you know, Stetson makes the tackle at the 12 and the Georgia defense holds him to a field goal. And, and on and on we go. I want to do uh, go over a couple more notes, Matt. Feel free to weigh in with this. I do something every uh, Monday that I call the stock report. Okay. And, you know, coaches talk about how they like to steal uh, game plans and, and plays from, from other teams. Well, the stock report originated back in the Birmingham News in the 1990s. And I just kind of liked it because back in the day, Matt, you remember uh, we'd be on deadline having to write for newspapers. And oh, my gosh, I got to get three stories in the paper tomorrow. And the stock report was a handy dandy thing you could do uh, that you could get filed on deadline just based on who played well. Stock soaring is my top category. JT Daniels, you saw the same thing I did. Can you believe seven to seven? On third downs, passing uh, six of those throws, converting first downs. Nolan Smith, once the number one prospect in the entire 2019 class, finally with the breakout game, eight tackles, a strip sack, and a tackle in the end zone for a safety. Brock Bowers, uh, you know, who is this? Uh, you know, Travis Kelsey got a, a kid. This guy is unbelievable. He's 6'4", 230, 40, 40-inch vertical, the most valuable, uh, reliable target on the team. And finally, Jake Camarda. 
you, you got an NFL punter out there. I don't know what else to say. The guy's bearing it. Matt, of those four names that I mentioned, share some of your thoughts and impressions on those top Georgia Bulldogs. I'm blown away by Bowers. I, I, I mean, I, I think he's – you're talking about a kid that's – again, every time we talk about a freshman, you're talking about a guy that's, you know, months removed from high school. I mean, it's, it's – and, and he's going out there and playing at that level. And you're right. He is Georgia's most consistent receiver. He's the guy. I mean, I, I'm sure they want Burton to develop into a one and develop into a deep threat. And I think Burton is very, very talented. I think he could eventually get there. But right now, Bowers is your guy. He's your guy that when it's third and six and you need to play – that's where JT Daniels is going. And speaking of JT Daniels, yeah, he just – Griff, we, we spoke about it when I first came on. He he can make every throw. He makes them a complete team. You know, And, again, I don't know what's going on with the dynamics of that situation or why Stetson Bennett was, was, was put in there in the third series. All I know is they are a much better team when JT Daniels is playing quarterback. You know, one of the things about the stock report, and I've kind of modified it. This is what I've kind of put. This is the millennial version of the stock report. The original stock report had stock up and stock down. But nowadays, I don't want to hurt anybody's feeling with stock down. So <laughs> if it's stock even, that's as close as we get to stock down. Because, again, stock down might hurt somebody irreparably uh, or lead to a lawsuit or something. Who knows? So the stock even categories is my way of saying I don't think they're playing real well. The cornerbacks are suspect, Matt. South Carolina, look, I like Luke Doty. I love Luke Doty. I think Luke Doty is a great quarterback. But he had four passes, excuse me, three passes over 35 yards. The former GA hit the other. Four passes for the Gamecocks of over 35 yards. That's number one stock even. Number two stock even, John Fitzpatrick. Look, every team has got a guy like John Fitzpatrick. He works hard. He says all the right things at press conferences, which means he doesn't say anything. He's dry as a board. He's got an IQ of a, right. of a zillion and any, any, any acts like he doesn't understand your questions, but on the field, he carries out assignments. He's big. He may have a place in the NFL as a blocking tight end. JT tried to force a couple balls to him because he likes them and he's a good guy. Uh, he didn't go aggressively enough for one. It was picked. The other one, he was in the end zone with no separation. So he's in the stock even. Justin Schaefer, this guy came back for his senior year to try and make uh, NFL teams convinced they should draft him. And all he's doing is giving him, enough, giving him more reasons not to draft him, a false start and just no push. So, you know, Matt, every team, even championship teams, you can look around and they're not going to have great players. Uh, sure. But those three, those three areas there, particularly cornerback, and I guess I would ask you this. You've seen enough football to uh, be able to answer this question. What's the formula for beating the Georgia Bulldogs right now? Um, finding where those junk bonds are in that stock report, really, is what the That's formula it. is. Because, I mean, you're looking at that defense. It's it's phenomenal. It is. I mean, the front seven is just fantastic. And I think the front seven is so good, they're hiding some flaws in the secondary. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, But I think, you know, those things work off each other. So if you've got the ability to affect the quarterback, it's going to help you in the back end. There's no doubt. And, and I think that's where they are right now. If you ask me, like, what, what do I think the kryptonite is of Georgia? I think it's, it's the back end. It's in coverage. So then you, then you get to the point of, okay, the question becomes, who can protect, number one? And number two, who has the quarterback that can make throws? And right now in the SEC, I mean, right now, who can protect and who can make the throws is really only one team, and, and that's probably Alabama. I, I don't know that there's a – another team in the league that can throw it like that. Auburn, maybe, like if it was if every game Bonex played was at home, maybe Bo could probably hit on one or two passes that, that might be able to hurt you. But right now, consistently, a team that consistently do that, 
I would say it's Alabama. Now, again, we don't know what's going to happen when Anthony Richardson becomes completely healthy at Florida. When he does and when he starts playing, then I think you're going to get an idea of where that Florida offense goes right now. But right now, I think Florida could could find a way to protect, but I'm just still not sure that if Florida's in max protect and they've got a couple guys on the outside and those guys got to win, I'm not sure Emory Jones can get it there consistently. So what happens then if, if, if Anthony Richardson becomes a viable opportunity option in the passing game and he still is that dynamic run guy a guy that can you know run like a tailback from that quarterback position you know then you've got something unique there then that game in jacksonville is going to just be whoo it's going to be an absolute war it is going to be an absolute war and and this is a game that if florida was playing in the swamp they'd feel a lot better about because let me tell you that is home field advantage. Matt, before we take our halftime break. You're not break, getting off that, are you? You are not getting off that game. You've got to leave to Jacksonville. You just aren't, are you? I'm going to bring you back for the second half, but before we take our halftime break here in a moment and recognize the sponsor, Ingles, I want you to rank the top six teams in the SEC. I'm going to give you a minute to, to organize that in, in your brilliant brain, and I'm going to lead off with my top six teams and my SEC power pool. Number one, I think right now, Georgia. Uh, I know that they are susceptible on the corners, but to Matt's point, I'm just not sure who can protect long enough, and I'm just not sure that Bryce Young's still going to be around come December 7th. He's an awful little guy, and uh, it's an awful rough league. So I got Georgia number one. I have Alabama number two. Uh, they didn't play their best game, and they were still able to escape what I believe is the most hostile a road environment in the SEC, maybe the nation that I've seen. Number three, I'm going with Texas A&M. Not ready to give the Gators uh, that big jump over the Aggies yet. AM will have a chance to prove me right or wrong this weekend. They play Arkansas in uh, Jerry World there in Arlington, Texas. Uh, number four, uh, the Florida Gators. Uh, I'm impressed with Florida. Uh, that moral victory for the Florida Gators. But to Matt's point, uh, we haven't seen the quarterback that George is going to play yet, I don't believe. Five, Sam Pittman in the Hogs. How about that? What a remarkable job. Let's give Pittman his due while we can. Uh, big win over Texas, some momentum. Not sure how they'll handle the bright lights in the big stage of Dallas. Uh, that's why I have AM ahead of them. And number six, Ole Miss. They just keep putting the points on the board, and you know, they've got a bye week before they play Alabama. And could they be the team? So my top six again, Georgia, Alabama, AM, Florida, Arkansas, and Old Miss. Matt, give me your top six in your narrative for those programs. Well, it's a little different, just a little bit, though. I mean, I've been on Georgia from day one. I think Georgia's going to win the national title as long as JT Daniels is playing quarterback, as long as something doesn't happen in that situation where, once again, the quarterback position is a mess at Georgia. I, I think Georgia's got a chance with that defense and with JT Daniels' ability to make every throw uh, to win it all. All they got to do is get out of the SEC because I don't see anyone else outside the SEC that's going to touch whoever ends up winning the SEC in the playoff. Uh, second, I've got Alabama. Just, I just love Bryce Young. And I know you, you've you been on the, he's too small. He may not make it through the season. You've been on that all year. Um, you know, I, I think he's a guy, he's one of those rare, unique guys that he knows he's not the biggest dude. So he finds a way to protect himself. Um, Kyler Murray was a great example of that. Kyler knew he was five foot nine, 185. He knew it. So he, he knew he had to figure out a way to protect himself. And he did. He's been the smallest guy playing football his entire life. So he got it. Um, and I don't think there's much difference between that and Bryce Young. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with Florida. And I'll tell you why, Griff. I, when I heard Nick Saban, I, I think I got to be honest with you. I was a little bit annoyed when I heard Nick Saban say we made a lot of mental errors. You know, that just, you know, 
you know, Nick always talks about how, you know, they're playing them themselves. It's the standard. Well, that and you couldn't get off blocks, Nick. Your defense couldn't get off blocks. So you can say mental errors. You can talk about a standard. They were getting whipped on the line of scrimmage, whipped. So I think that, to me, is a red flag for Alabama. Now, that doesn't mean Alabama can't improve on the defensive end because they more than likely will because Saban's defenses always do. But in that specific game, whipped. It's the only word you can use. Um, and and honestly, if Anthony Richardson was playing that game, I don't think Alabama gets out of there without a loss. So I got Florida three. I've got Texas A&M four. Uh, we still know about Calzada. Uh, um, who knows when Haynes King is going to return? You know, the funny thing is they say uh, October 15th. He's got a fractured ankle. A fracture is a break. He has a broken ankle. So the return in, what, four weeks, five weeks, it's got to be one of those crazy Alabama webbing surgeries that Tua had. Remember those? Remember the ankle when he had the ankle problem? They did like that webbing that helped him return sooner. It's, it'll have to be something like that. They'll figure out. I don't know how he's going to get back, but until then, Calzada's got to do something. He's got to be a guy that makes plays in the passing game. But I'll stick them at four. I love Ole Miss, man. I, I I know they're not that good on defense. They're better. They're better. They gave up like 36 a game last year. They're at like 17 or 18 right now this year. I know they haven't played anyone, um, but I think they're better. I love Cam, the linebacker, uh, the transfer from Maryland. I, I like Ole Miss, and I love what they do offensively. Matt Corral is just a fun guy to watch. Um, they can protect against Georgia, I think, for the most part, um, and I think they can make plays clearly with Corral. Um, so if something like that, if somehow – Ole Miss beat Alabama and Georgia saw them in the championship game. That'd be a fun game to watch too. Um, and then six, I'm with you. I love Sam Pittman. Love what he's done at, Alabama, at Arkansas. I love his mindset, his tough guy mindset, his, hey, we're tough guys, but we're having fun doing what we do. And those guys just love playing for him, those players. And he's got a tough quarterback. K.J. Jefferson, he may not be the prettiest guy throwing the ball, but he's a tough dude. He's really good in the QB run game. And he's a lot better thrower than you think he is. And Kendall Bryles is a fantastic play caller. And he's got two really good coordinators there, Kevin, Kendall Bryles and, and uh, Barry Odom, the former Missouri coach. He's just done a fantastic job as a defensive coordinator. You know, Sam Pittman looks like a guy that if he's on your bowling team, he's buying the beers. And if he's on the other team's bowling team, he's beating you up in the alley behind the bowling alley. <laughs> you know, you just get a feeling he's got that switch where, you know, on one hand, he loves everybody and there's chocolate chip cookies. But when things get rough, Sam would be the guy to slam down the beer mug and go, let's go, boys. He's you know, look, right? <laughs> just, just get that feeling, you know, you love him. And I'll tell you what, you know, you, you get to know people, you get to rely on people. And you get to trust people, Matt. And, you know, Ingalls is a brand and a supermarket that we were able to trust during the pandemic when things got rough, when we weren't sure where the next meal was coming from, uh, what the next uh, initiative would be from the government, what the news would be. The one thing we knew, though, is that we could go into Ingalls, we could get service, we could get the products to take care of our family. And we relied on Ingalls for that. I want to take this moment now to recognize our sponsor, Ingalls. It's in our hearts to feel free. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community is strong. I did.
just had this vision of Sam Pittman with his arms around other guys rocking back and forth, singing the Ingles song and slamming the mug down. And so now the second half of our show tonight, and I want to talk more about that Alabama-Florida game, Matt. I had a lot of thoughts going into it, uh, namely that I wasn't sure how the Gators could score with Alabama with Emory Jones at quarterback. Listen, you and I know Edgar Thompson. He's one of the most respected and best journalists uh, covering college football in the country. Edgar's not a guy that gets overly worked up about things, but he recently compared Anthony Richardson to Jesus Christ. And I thought that might be a little bit of hyperbole. I mean, tell everyone why the Florida Gator Nation is so excited about Anthony Richardson. Well, I, I think you just look at him. He's he's six four. He's two thirty eight. He runs like a sub four five forty. And, and you know, in in the two games this year that he's played against the Alphabet Soup teams of of uh, Florida Atlantic and USF, he's just what he's done is truly like unique. And you you can't use that word strongly enough. And I don't think it, it's used enough as far as when you really are ta- start talking about a special player, a guy. That is so good, he can elevate the level of a team, even though they may not be a championship-level team, even though they may be average in other areas. His play elevates them to among the lead, if not the elite. And you hate to make these comparisons, but every scout I talk to, you know, they've seen this kid not only at, at practice at Florida, but in these two games, and they start talking about Cam Newton. And that's a that's a tough, tough comparison to live up to. But this guy, I'll tell you what, man. I think what really did it for me, Griff, it wasn't really the long runs where he's running away from the second level. Um, it wasn't running over people on the zone read. It wasn't, you know, you know, the accurate deep balls. It was, it was the fake zone read rolling to his left, throwing across his body like 40 yards down the field, right on the button to Jermaine Copeland, putting it only where Jermaine Copeland could get it. Like a 40-yard throw, and he flipped it across his body. He did that, and I was kind of like, okay, this isn't, like, normal. This is not normal. Um, and I think that's why um, so many people see him and think, okay, I can't wait to see this kid when he's in a situation where it's not so much Emery's getting three series and he's getting one, then Emery gets a quarter and he gets two series, and then it's two and two to finish the game or something like that. I, I think everyone's really interested to see this kid, okay, the game is yours, go get it. Um, I don't know if they're going to get to that point this season unless something, heaven forbid, happens injury-wise to one of the two. Um, you know, Clearly it already has with Anthony with the hamstring. But he's a guy that I think if he's in a situation where it's his job and he's out there playing every series, boy, it's going to go quick. It, the, the maturation process and the ability of going from here to way up here is going to go quick because you can see that he's got it. He clearly has it, um, and he's got that physical ability. He's got that football IQ. You can tell he has it. And I, I would be very interested to see if it gets to the point where he's the guy taking snaps every single series. Ooh, it's gonna, it will be fun, fun to watch. Yeah, kind of, you know, for some reason, Oklahoma-Nebraska rivalry of the 70s and 80s comes up when I think about what this Florida-Georgia game could look like with Anthony Richardson isolated on the perimeter against a guy like an Adam Anderson, you know, the 6'4", 230 guy with four or five speed, or or the guy we mentioned earlier, Nolan Smith, the, the, you know, the, the 6'2", 235, the uh, rush end. You know, Georgia's got some guys that are there specifically for RPO quarterbacks 
like Anthony Richardson. Then you under, do the Gators have those great receivers? You know, this year's college football season looks very different than the last three. We don't see the sort of receivers in the passing games like Clemson had with Trevor Lawrence, like Alabama had last season with, you know, two first round draft picks like LSU and Joe Burrow had with those three remarkable. And I've been telling people the whole off season, look, this Georgia receiving core might be better than what they've had, but it's not in the same league with what we saw Mac Jones working with or Joe Burrow working with or Trevor Lawrence working with, Matt. I think Georgia is a shade down at the skill positions. We're talking about a freshman tight end being their go-to receiver. And in the backfield, no one has really separated. And as much as Kirby talks about this platooning, I don't like that. I want to see a Najee Harris. I want to know who the dominant guy is that I'm trusting on third and one. They can take it to the house and I'm putting him in there on that game winning drive right now. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, spin the wheel on the sideline. We'll see who we put in or, or whose turn is it now? Uh, It just doesn't look like there's any rhyme or reason to the running back rotation. And I'm still thinking that the receivers uh, I just don't know if they're championship quality, Matt. You know, Griff, when you really think about it, you know, if you're talking about both Florida and Georgia, they almost marry each other as far as skill guys. Very similar. They got three, each of them has three running backs. Florida has two five-star guys, Bowman and Lingard, who are on the bench. They're not even carries right now. Um, you know, they have receivers that they like. Copeland's a guy they think could develop into a one, a deep threat, a lot like Burton at Georgia. Um, you know, they've got a tight end they like, Gamble. You know, it's it's very similar the way they look skill-wise. Um, the difference is a quarterback. I mean, Georgia has the pro-style quarterback, the guy that can make every throw, and Florida has an idea of a quarterback uh, with Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. And, and defensively, clearly Georgia is ahead right now, but I'll tell you what, it's uh, I, I like what Florida's doing defensively. I think they're getting lined up on time, which is really a huge, huge difference from last season. And they've got guys. I've talked to scouts numerous times who have told me they've got five, six, seven guys that are going to play in the league on that defense. They were just so poorly prepared last year and so poorly coached. And I think Grantham has, has made a concerted effort to be, to be in a situation where he has them in position to do smart things and play smart. Um, and then you're talking about their athleticism taking over. They're really good off the edge. You know, with guys like Zach Carter and Cox um, and Jeremiah Moon and Bogle, and they can run, man. They've got some athletes on the edge. And those two transfers are, are, are help in the middle. Um, I don't think they're as good as Georgia defensively, but they're pretty good defense. And, and they did a job in Alabama in the last two and a half quarters in that game as well. So it's uh, that game is looming large right now on Halloween weekend in Jacksonville. No doubt about it. It, is, it does loom large right now. The uh, Florida Gators are uh, wetting their appetite for the Tennessee Vols. The Gators, a 20-point favorite. Tennessee hasn't won there, Matt, since you and I were covering those teams in yeah. 2003. Uh, I can't even remember. Uh, it was Casey Clawson, right? Was it, was it, Kate? It, it was Casey Clawson. Yeah, yeah. I think he was one of only two quarterbacks, if I'm not mistaken, to win twice in the swamp and one of them being against Spurrier. Wasn't there an LSU quarterback that pulled that off early maybe, but uh, before it was named the swamp, 
so maybe that doesn't qualify. Anyway, long time for Tennessee, right? And, and the swamp does make a difference. I mean, it. I tell people this, and and when I talk to the, some of the Georgia people, and most of the Georgia people I talk to now really want to get the Georgia half of the game at least back in Athens. I mean, right. Florida can do whatever they want when it's their game. If they want to play their designated home game in Jacksonville, that's fine. But I tell them that if the teams I've covered, Auburn, Alabama, uh, I can't say Georgia because they haven't played there, but in Tennessee, the sweetest wins, the, the wins that meant the most to those programs were beating the Florida Gators in the swamp. I mean, that is the stadium where you really do have to conquer the fans as well as the team. Now, Georgia had a little bit of that going when they played Notre Dame, Matt, a couple of years ago. I mean, right. Notre Dame has six false starts. If Sanford doesn't show out, I'm not sure Notre Dame doesn't escape uh, Athens with a victory if those fans don't create six false start penalties because Brian Kelly was dialed in and the dogs were sleeping that night. So I think fans in the stadiums can really affect games. And uh, I do think Florida will roll Tennessee. I certainly think uh, Tennessee will will ring the bell uh, against Vanderbilt. I want to shift a little bit to Alabama. We've talked a lot about the Gators. We've talked plenty about Georgia. Obviously, that's why people tune in. They love the Bulldogs. But now that the Bulldogs are national championship contenders, now that they're SEC contenders, the treat is that you get to talk about the rest of the league. It's relevant to do that. You know, when I first started bringing right. guys on like Sam Pittman and Shane Beamer and Steve Spurrier came on the show and they said, why are we why are we hearing about all these other? Because now you're a championship contender and what others do is relevant to you. Yeah, or nine win team, you just take care of your business and, and you take your participation trophy and, and you pat the guys on the head for a good job. <laughs> but now that you're trying to win it all, you, you're kind of trying to look around and see over your shoulder, who's coming up and what else is happening. And I think Georgia fans should be encouraged as encouraged as Florida fans. What they take from it is, Hey, we almost beat the best team in the country. And what Georgia fans take from it is Alabama doesn't look so good. <laughs> you know? So everybody kind of sees what they want. What is the truth about Alabama football right now, Matt? I think they're still very good, Griff. I mean, I think they're still one of the top two, three teams in the country, but they're vulnerable. I mean, and, and, Anyone who thinks they're not is, is not watching what's going on in the field. Now, again, you've got to be a team that's got a very physical offensive line and a, and a group of running backs that can run hard, can push the pile, and make a miss, which is what Florida has. You know, and you've got to have a quarterback that can add to that run game. So I look at the SEC and this schedule that looked so easy not so long ago for Alabama. Now you start talking about, okay, well, Arkansas could be a problem. Arkansas almost 20 super seniors. Arkansas and its ability to run the ball and K.K. Jefferson's ability to be another guy that Alabama defense has to account for in the run game. That's a problem. Texas A&M, the way they run the ball, that might be a problem, especially in College Station. And that, that place is going to be crazy. Um, it'll be another very tough environment for Alabama. Ole Miss, the way they run the ball. Ole, you know, There's four teams on, on Alabama's schedule right now that are currently, Griff, currently in the top 10 rush yards in, in, in the entire nation, not just the SEC. So I, I think that that the idea that Alabama had this little waltz, now while they'll be favored in all these games, they're in a situation now where Florida kind of laid out a little bl a blueprint of what could be done. If you can block them and you can get physical with them, the defensive lines of the past at Alabama, all those All-Americans jumping out on all those guys, it's not there anymore. It's just not. They used to go two and three deep. 
And now they, they have maybe one, maybe two guys that can be disruptive. And I think that's the, the issue right now they're facing defensively. Again, could they get better? Sure they can. And, and most Alabama defenses do. But right now, there's a little bit of a, okay, wait, they might be vulnerable. Yeah, no doubt about it. They certainly look vulnerable. And, you know, Alabama fans breathing a sigh of relief that, that Dan Mullen lost his play sheet or something. I mean, look, I don't understand this. This is one of the most creative, uh, you know, ingenuous coaches out there. This is a coach who's lauded for the play calling. And, and Matt, you or I could have designed a better two-point con- – I mean – don't these t- we know this we used to be able to go to practice they would wa- they would work that two point play every single week they had the two point play up their sleeve they never showed it it was special occasion i just can't believe that the the read option dive was the play call that dan would call given a second chance man am i missing something there well i, I think you got to look at it this way too griff i mean they they ran for 254 yards in alabama they were doing whatever they wanted running the ball um, and a lot of it was because of the zone read and the way Emory was with how he had that mesh. It was perfect. And he called what he called. It wasn't a typical zone read. He called the the long zone read where, where you hold a mesh and you run with the running back. And at the last second, you make a decision, um, you know, and that's look at the end of the day, the, the middle three on the Florida line didn't get the job done blocking like they had for much of the game. So I don't I don't I don't question that call because I think what they did the entire game why not do that again? Um, especially when Emory is not, you know, he's not the best thrower. He's not the most accurate guy. I mean, he's made some nice throws, but he's also a guy who's, you know, one hop throws. So I think he had the right play called. I just think they didn't block it well. Did Georgia break Clemson? You know, I talked with a former assistant coach that worked with Woody McCorvey and Dabo Sweeney, and, and we talked after the game, and he said, man, I called him up, Mike. I said, they caught up to you, dude. Everybody has caught up to you. Has the Clemson playbook, I mean, is, is it time? I mean, if you're Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, you're thinking, man, maybe I should have cashed in this hand for that $30 million guaranteed uh, head coaching job. Because right now, this Clemson offense, and, and, and I don't want to take too much credit away from Georgia Tech, but they are a lousy team. Uh, they just didn't look real good. And, and Matt, I, that's their that was their ACC home opener at South Carolina state. I get it. You're still upset. You lost boo hoo. Uh, all your fans are, are falling off of social media like flies and changing their screen name. Uh, and, but then to go out there and lay an egg, come down to the last possession with Georgia tech. I mean, uh, is, is Clemson in trouble? No, I'm not going down that road yet. I think Clemson's problem is they can't, they can't block their offensive line. Is might be the worst offensive line they've had under Dabo, and that's saying a lot because his first couple of years there, they were not that good on the offensive line, um, and they were really bad at one point. That you know, the year they lost seventy something to twenty something to West Virginia that Orange Bowl, they were really bad in the offensive line. Um, they're just not, they're not getting, they're not blowing guys off the line of scrimmage like they have for so many years, so many previous years. Even last year, Griff, last year they kind of made it to the playoff with smoke and mirrors. You know, the ACC is not that difficult to get through, but they got through it um, and they got to the playoff and it was clear, boy, the, the Ohio State D-line dominated that game. And I know Justin Fields had a fantastic game. He had like five touchdown passes in the first two and a half quarters, but that D-line at Ohio State, that was the difference in that game. That I mean, Trevor Lawrence could do nothing in that game because he had no time. And I think that's where you, what you see right now with DJ Uyunglele is he has no time. He, he tries it by the time he sets – 
he's got two and three guys on him. He's he's got to move immediately. So I think that's difficult. They don't run block like they used to. They don't have it back like Travis Etienne now, like they had with him clearly. Um, so that's another thing where you don't have that run game, so you can't take pressure off Uyunglele. So the line of scrimmage, you know, every coach will tell you that, and you know this too, man. That's where games are won. You can have great skill guys. Everybody has really good skill guys or great skill guys. But if you can't block it or if you can't get after it from the other side, you you know, you're, you're not going to win big games. I think you just like saying his name because you can pronounce his name right. Because I can and you can. Is that what you're saying? He's not relevant enough to worry about anymore. We'll just call him DJU for now. I'll tell you what else I did today. You know, we do this Super 16 poll, and I know everybody's wrapped up in the AP Top 25 and the coaches poll, but the Football Writers Association, we have our own little club here, and we have our own little poll called the Super 16. And Why don't uh, we have our own secret handshake, Griff? I never understood why we have we got you our know? we got our massage chairs at the uh, at the national championship game uh, reception rooms as well. But but uh, I'm going to tell you what I did today, Matt. And 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 I noticed right away someone from Cleveland followed me on Twitter. I'm surprised I didn't get the call to go on the show. I said, you know what? I'm not ranking Ohio State in the top 16. I'm not doing it, Matt. They they look lousy against Minnesota. They had right. to come from behind. They look lousy against a bad Tulane team. Uh, they got beat at home against the, uh, Oregon. I'm still not sure, other than having great uniforms, I'm still not sure how much conviction I have in the Ducks. I'm not putting them – there's more deserving teams that have not lost yet, and I'm not just going to put them in there because of the Buckeye sticker. I just – I can't do it. Now, now Clemson, Clemson has an unbelievable suffocating defense. I kept them in the top ten. I even gave Oklahoma a little bit of a pass because they've got a returning quarterback who has been there and done it. But I've got zero conviction in Ohio State. They shouldn't have even technically gotten into the playoff. Their conference had to change the rule to get them in. And, and I just, I'm just not buying that right now they deserve or represent a top 16 team. Now, your thoughts on Ohio State? Are they still going to come out of the Big Ten and make the playoff? Uh, let me just say this. I think it was really interesting that this year, and even last year to an extent, Griff, uh, the narrative was it's, it's inevitable. It's always going to be Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State because they've dominated the playoff, and they're going to continue to dominate the playoff. And every once in a while we'll get Notre Dame or we might get a Georgia. Um, you know, you get an Oregon in every blue moon. But it's going to be those four teams, and it's going to be those four teams again this year. And now Clemson's got a loss. Ohio State's got a loss. Oklahoma looks average. Um, Alabama clearly has a vulnerability. I don't know how deep and detailed it will be. I mean, you're going to have to be a, a team that can get physical with them and run the ball like Florida did. So I don't know how, how, how much of a factor it could be down the stretch, but it's there. Um, and, and then you, you look at Georgia and, and Georgia looks like they've got their ducks in a row. But again, I, I'm, I'm not going to be a person that says Georgia's a team that's going to go, it's going to win out and be in the SEC championship game and play either a one loss Alabama or a one loss Texas A&M or whoever it is until the quarterback situation is clearly rectified there because I've seen too much over the last three seasons at that spot, at that critical spot, that somehow it's been screwed up. And somehow Georgia has wasted great defenses and Georgia has wasted great skill guys on offense and they haven't got it done. So until that happens, until they actually get to the point where they're unbeaten in that game and they're playing in the SEC championship game, I'm not going to buy it with them either. So 
exactly this 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 aura of inevitability that we've all talked about now for two years it's no longer there man um uh, you, you asked me about ohio state in the big 10 i mean penn state looks as good as anybody in the big 10 right now penn state's defense is terrific i think sean clifford's playing really well mike yurtz has done a a terrific job in being his i believe it's his fifth coordinator in four years at penn state which is insane uh, we're fourth in four years but, I mean, you look at that and you look at how he's bounced back to kind of his 2019 form where he was a really good player at Penn State. Penn State's got a chance to have a nice big season. And this is, you know, we're talking about, you know, the what if thing. You know, what if this is James Franklin's last year at Penn State? What if he takes the USC job? Um, what if he goes to the NFL? James James is a fan of the NFL. So, I mean, it's – I think in, in this day and age right now with college football – and with the idea of the transfer portal and the NIL and where players have are way more invested in the sport and have way more power in the sport than they had in the past, you're going to see some elite coaches who typically would say, I'm not going to the NFL, maybe try to go to the NFL because it's just too much of a headache right now. It really is. We're talking with Matt Hayes. He's an award-winning college football writer, a radio host out of Jacksonville, Florida, truly one of the best football minds out there and analysts. Matt, really enjoying the conversation uh, I want to go back a, a little bit. I want to touch on this, just kind of get your thoughts. And, you know, now we're, we've got a little bit of time to put this in the spin cycle, the Oklahoma-Texas addition to the SEC. As I look at this year's version of Oklahoma and Texas, Matt, I'm not sure that they would be in the top two or three in the West. I mean, I think Texas obviously suspect getting uh, really manhandled by the Arkansas Razorbacks. And this this Oklahoma team, I, I know that the Nebraska rivalry brings out the best in the Cornhuskers, but that's a team that got beat by Illinois, man. Uh, I, I think I think Oklahoma, uh, you know, could be in trouble. I, I don't think this is going to have the sort of immediate impact that maybe at first glance that we thought it would. Yeah, I, I think Oklahoma, we were all kind of, uh, you know, led into the idea of, well, it's Lincoln Riley, and he just churns out Heisman candidates. and. And it's a and honestly, it's hard not to think that Lincoln's a fantastic coach, and Lincoln has done. He's got the track record, um, but I think we all kind of ignored what we saw with our own eyes last year with Spencer Rattler. He had good games. He also had bad games, and by bad, I mean bad, bad games where he got benched. So I I, I think it's a little bit of that. They don't have the quarterback play that they've had in previous years. I don't think they're that good on the offensive line. Um, defensively, I think they're better. But in, in, the, in the Big 12, it's just incremental at that point. And, and I, I think it's a, it's a different Oklahoma team. Could they still go and beat in the Big 12? Sure they could. I'm not sure if you look at the Big 12, who scares you in that league? So they could go and beat and they could get to the playoff and they could be a 12-0 or a 13-0 team that really shouldn't even be there. But because they're 13-0, they're going to play in there. Now, I'm also a guy who believes wholeheartedly that Lincoln Riley will figure it out with Spencer Rattler. He will get him better. And by the end of the season, he will be playing really well. Um, so I, I'm not giving up on Oklahoma just yet. They clearly don't look right now, Griff, like they have in the last two or three years or four years. Um, but I think they'll figure it out because I think Lincoln's way too good of a coach for them not to figure it out. Yeah, you know, and, and that's kind of circling it back, Matt, to the start of the program and 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 what we're all about here covering Georgia football. Kirby Smart will figure it out. Let, let's be honest. Georgia finally has a, the, the right runway uh, for a championship. You, listen, schedules, schedules, schedules. 
They have everything to do with championship seasons. When do you catch the team? How good they are? For example, you know, Georgia is playing Arkansas when Arkansas is good. They played LSU when Joe Burrow was there. That's a tough time to, do, to catch a home and home with, with LSU. You'd much right. rather that be now and have played Arkansas home and home with Chad Morris in 18 and 9. So schedules right. have a lot to do with it. Georgia, I felt, got dealt a, a really nice hand this year. You know, last year it was tough. You know, they played some physical football teams in Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky. They lost four guys before they played the Gators, who conveniently enough, and I'm glad everyone turned out to be okay, by the way, had two weeks off for COVID over a three-week period. Looked like a rested, fresh team against the Georgia team that had just lost their team captain to a motorcycle accident, Jordan Davis and George Pickens, arguably their three best players. Uh, and, and yet, and, and then they lose their quarterback uh, with a 14 to zero lead. I mean, it was like an airplane crash. It was a cascade of events. One thing wasn't going to take Georgia down. A lot of things did part of it, the schedule the year before Matt Georgia played five teams. This is amazing. Five teams that had a bye week the week before they played Georgia. I asked Greg Sankey about it and he goes, Oh yeah, well, you know, the differential of three, that's the limit. And that was the smart and right thing to say. But why did it have to be a differential of three? You know, Georgia had two bye weeks also. But my point is disadvantageous schedule in 2019. 2018, uh, they played a great game against Alabama. And Alabama made more plays and had the better quarterback off the bench. And Georgia's linebacker got hurt. Another one of those coin toss games. But this schedule here, I mean, this is some downhill sled. Now, Arkansas could be a little bit of a bump in that noon kickoff. Auburn on the road. I, I think Auburn is still a bit, a bit of a mystery team. We, Penn State does look like the Big Ten, the best team in the Big Ten. But, you know, maybe that and 25 cents gets you a cup of coffee. We don't really know how savage Auburn and Bo Nix will be on the Plains mid-October. And, of course, the game in Jacksonville on Halloween. I, as I said, I mean, uh, I, I think Anthony Richardson will be the quarterback. I think the Gators will look like a different team. But also, I think Georgia will look like a different team. You said something I thought fascinating earlier and, and absolutely true. Coaches do everything for effect. I almost get the feeling Kirby's trying to create a little of his own adversity right now before they play some of these powder puffs like the Vanderbilt Commodores. Yeah, you know what? I'm kind of reminded of the classic movie, of, I mean, one of the best of all time, Griff, My Cousin Vinny. When, <laughs> when, when Fred Gwynn, the judge, says, Mr. Gambini, that was a lucid – you know, well-thought argument. That's what I'm thinking about you and the schedules. Because, look, at the end of the day, if you're a good team, it doesn't matter who you're playing. And, you know, Steve Spurrier used to say this all the time when somebody would ask him during the week, this is a tough part of the schedule, Coach. You've got, you know, Auburn, LSU, and Georgia, you know, three in a row. You know, how, how difficult is that going to be? And his response every time was, well, they got to play us. And I think that's the way – that's the way Kirby looks at that. I mean, he doesn't care who he's playing. All he knows is if they're prepared and they're ready to go, guess what? They got to play him. He's not worried about playing them. So I think schedules, well, fans love to look at it and fans love to argue about it because we've got a tougher schedule than you and you got an easy track and we didn't and we, you know, we won these games and you didn't have to win any of these games. All they care about in that football office of all these teams is, okay, this week we have to be the better team. This week, it's just about this week. And these guys got to play us. It's not like we have to play them. So, yeah, I, I, I've never been a guy who has thought, okay, ooh, that schedule is going to be tough for them. 
I just think it's, look, if you're a good team, if you're a great team and you think you have the ability to play in the national championship game or play in the playoff or win your conference championship, you don't care who's in your way. You're going out there and you're playing. Well, I agree with that. I, I agree with that philosophy, Matt. But one of the things that a schedule like they have in the ACC or the Big 12 or the Big 10 affords you to do, which I'm seeing Georgia get the advantage of right now, when you have these sizable leads, all of a sudden, you know, Jordan Davis, he's not playing all those snaps in the second half. Nicole, yeah, you can get breathers. No doubt. No doubt. Bill, and let me tell you, George is going to lose nine of these guys off defense to the NFL. And next year, everybody's going, well, this is the window. This is the window. They're building depth right now. That fourth quarter cover touchdown for South Carolina, there was some backups on the field that were getting some very valuable work. So Kirby sure. Smart building the depth right now. And, uh, and that's why I say the schedule matters. You mentioned they'll be better by the end of the year. Well, if you're Oklahoma, you've got a larger margin for error than you do in the SEC, where South sure. Carolina can, can, can nip you. Uh, you know, a Tennessee, maybe. Well, maybe not Tennessee. Maybe a Kentucky. Well, I'm a South Carolina. Well, I'm going to tell you, Luke Doty, I'm just I mean, going to tell you. South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vandy, if, if you even contemplate the idea that they can nip you, you're not doing things right as a coach. I can tell you that. Well, right well, I'm taking South Carolina over Kentucky. It's going to be an upset pick this week. I'll tell you that. Kentucky. Wow, oh, that's a big, that's a big, big upset. It'd be a pretty, you know, you know I, I think Grant's back. I think Kentucky might score forty on him. Eddie Grant's back, and, and according to him, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bill Parcells tried to hire him last week or so. I don't know the guy. You did you ever hear the story, Matt, of the Eddie Grant supposed job offer to be the offensive coordinator? At Georgia, he, he goes back to Kentucky. He did get an interview at Georgia, but it was right. to be like the run game coordinator. And, right. and it, it, but he goes back to Kentucky, and the story gets pitched by the Kentucky media, and they're so busy with basketball that they don't pay close attention to know that he's lying. That that he really didn't get offered the offensive court, but they still give him all this money, and they celebrate Eddie Grand is like the greatest coordinator ever. When in actuality, he was just a rogue recruiter, as far as I remember, that coached running backs. But apparently, he's back in the fold in Wildcat country now. And well, this is when Monk, before Munkin got the job, this is when Eddie interviewed for the job. I, I think he was being, yeah, right around the same. Okay. He was never going to be the full. You, you don't, I think they were 99th in the nation in offense the year before. <laughs> but anyway, we like to have some of these fun uh, beat writer stories. Matt, uh, wild card time for you. You got any takes for me? Obviously, you do such great work there in Jacksonville. Share the, the radio station that you're with and where people can find you on social media. I'm on 1010XL uh, in Jacksonville. It's uh, 92.5 FM, 1010 AM. Uh, we're, it's a Jacksonville. Uh, it's the, the flagship station of the Jaguars, the flagship station of the Gators. And, uh, yeah, it's basically all football all the time there, man. We, we get after it every day. Uh, 12, noon to 3 daily. We even have uh, every once in a while we'll have a really good um, SEC analyst on our show by the name of Mike Griffith, and he does comes <laughs> in and breaks down some stuff very well for us. So yeah, we have a lot of fun, man. We talk a lot of football, a lot of SEC, NFL, and uh, it's even in the off season, man. It's all football. You know, this city's all about football. It really is. And in your Twitter handle, Matt, it's uh, Matt Hayes CFB. At Matt Hayes CFB, Matt, I want to thank you so much. Uh, for joining me tonight. I'm going to stick around after you leave and answer some of the questions. Uh, try to be interactive with the fans. It's been a live comment section. You've gotten a lot of uh, praise 
the Dog Nation fans love you, man. Uh, I don't think I've ever said that about any Florida person before, but uh, they're crazy about you. You, you. you tell it like it is, Matt. You've always been a gifted journalist and you've always been a great friend. Thank you for joining me tonight on the show. Sure, Griff. My pleasure. Anytime, man. Thank you. You got it. Matt Hayes, one of my buddies and a guy that I love to do radio with every Saturday on that Jacksonville radio station. Matt knows his stuff. I hope you enjoyed Matt's presentation. Matt and I go way back uh, some 20, 23, 25 years now. And uh, we, we've been around the league. And Matt, of course, also worked for the Sporting News. You'll see his work with Saturday Down South. And whenever he decides to write, there's somebody that's ready to write it because he's one gifted writer and obviously a very, very good college football analyst. What questions do you have for me? I want to wind this up in the next five minutes. My producer, Michael Carvel, uh, doing an outstanding job tonight. I always appreciate Michael. Uh, another guy that I go way back with. Uh, Michael and I uh, have a very good working relationship. And when you've got people on your team um, that you can be real with, it makes everybody better. And I appreciate his production tonight. I see Austin has a question. Thoughts on Michigan State minus four versus Nebraska and Arkansas versus AM 5.5. You're talking spreads here on me, man. I'll tell you what, um, you know, I like Michigan State over Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska, I think that had to be an emotional letdown against Oklahoma. That was a big game. Michigan State and Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker is doing one phenomenal job with Michigan State Spartans. Let me tell you, uh, that win against Miami, it probably has Tyreek Stevenson wondering why he transferred to Miami. He could still be with the Bulldogs. But, you know, you got to understand these kids do what's best for them. Uh, that was a big win for Michigan State. I like them over Nebraska. AM and Arkansas, man, I would really, really like to pick Sam Pittman in the Hogs. Uh, I think Sam is a guy that everyone in, in Dog Nation and Georgia fans respect and admire. But at the end of the day, the cream rises. AM's been in these big game environments before. Uh, Arkansas is going to go out there expecting Texas and they're going to get AM. I like AM in that football game. So, uh, yeah, someone says that uh, Hugh Nash is wow. Uh, you're actually going to answer some questions tonight. Uh, you know, someone, uh, Shannon, wants to know, Mike, you're always getting these dang Florida guys on. Look, here, let's keep this real, folks. Georgia's got to beat Florida to win the East and go back to the SEC title game. And, and you need to know what's going on. As I said, and, and I've covered enough teams and fan bases, when you make that jump to contender, all of a sudden now the rest of the SEC matters because you're on top. And you're and you're kind of looking around the landscape to see who might challenge you, right? When when you're not a championship program, you know your focus is very narrow into what's ahead and what's what's in your little world. But now that Georgia is on a national stage, Georgia's big time. Georgia's one of the top three or four programs in the country every single year. And you need to know the landscape because these are the teams you're recruiting against. These are the teams you meet in the playoffs and the elite bowl games. So. That's why we talk about it. So enjoy all the flavors. I know we've been, uh, you know, if you're if you're a Georgia fan, maybe you've been chocolate, vanilla, strawberry for a long time. But now that you're on top of the world, man, enjoy all 31 flavors because the Bulldogs are are where everybody uh, wants to be. Uh, I, Hugh, I appreciate the compliment on Matt. We, we will bring him back. He's a great guy. I enjoy doing radio with Matt on Jacksonville Station every week. Look for my Twitter timeline. You'll see some links to that. And uh, we like to have a, a, the opposing beat writer on typically. Uh, but honestly, the Vandy beat writer that I've known so well, uh, a fellow by the name of Adam that worked for a long time for the Tennessean, he now covers Tennessee. 
And um, I just don't think Vanderbilt's that interesting. I'll be honest with you. I just, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to waste anybody's time previewing the Vanderbilt Commodores. I'm just not going to do it. This is a team that, that uh, the phrase curb stop, right? This needs to be a Kirby stop, a Kirby stop game. Uh, Kirby needs to get that stolen glory back. Uh, what else we got tonight? Any other questions, folks, here on the Ingles on the Beat show? Uh, I'll be downloading this as a podcast and SoundCloud as well, taking questions. Uh, do you think UGA linebackers are faster than Bama's? I do. I think Adam Anderson is so special, so special. Uh, this guy is a uh, just an absolute offensive uh, wrecker. Uh, really like his game. Uh, you know, Channing Tindell, man, where did he come from? He's having an unbelievable season tied for the team leading tackles. Uh, does Kirby get nervous on quarterback decisions? No, I don't think so. Kirby, Kirby wants to be fair to a fault. Uh, he wants to be fair to a fault. He really does. He wants to be a man of his word. And, and I respect that. And, and that's all I can tell you. I, I think he's doing his best to be fair and, and take, you know, to run this Georgia program in the best way that he knows how. Uh, I think folks need to uh, let it go. What happened the other night is done. I think it showed you how mentally tough JT is. He came back out the next drive, converted three third downs. I see uh, someone asking, yes, George Pickens was practicing. If you missed the beginning of the show, uh, he does have a knee brace on. Um he does, he's not 100%. He has a non-contact jersey, but he looked good catching the football and uh, running routes. Uh, they weren't sharp routes, but they were uh, some cuts involved. Don't know when George will be back. Folks, I'm going to hang it up tonight. Uh, it's been a great show. I want to thank everybody for joining me. I want to thank my guest, Matt Hayes, my producer, Michael Carvel. Tomorrow night, counter and coverage back. Wednesday night, Jeff Centel with Centel's Intel before the hedges. Thursday night, cover four, and every day at 10 o'clock, Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. Everyone have a wonderful week.